Hey everyone, welcome back to the Sermon Podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location. My name is Brian and it's good to talk to you again. Right now we're engaged in a series that we have entitled Who We Are. And we're talking about some of the foundational things that make up our identity as followers of Jesus Christ and as people engaged in the community here at Mount Hope. Sometimes it's important to get back to the basics and talk about the things that matter most. So I hope you enjoy these talks and I hope you listen closely because I believe that God has something he would like to say to you. And so if you've been with us, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, uh, you know that we're doing in January, in the month of January, what we do every year. If you've been with us throughout the years at Mount Hope, and that is we are getting back to the fundamentals of what it means to be a person who follows Jesus Christ. You know, this afternoon when the Patriots uh, take the field, before the Patriots take the field uh, to play whoever it is this year, uh, when the Patriots take the field... They are going to do the same warm-ups and the same, uh, and the same exercises that they've done for years. In fact, some of them are going to be doing the exact same thing that they did when they were in 7th, 8th, ninth grade and learning to play the game of football. Because there are certain things that no matter how far in a game you get or how far in a discipline you get, there's still fundamentals you have to come back to. Go see the Boston Pops. They're going to play and warm up with the same scales they were learning when they first started their instrument. And some of you who are accountants and scientists, there are certain principles in your work that you always come back to, the basic fundamental principles that guide your entire work. And we think it's worth our time once a year to come back to the fundamentals of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And uh, when we do this, this year we're talking about this, uh, where not just in general, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus, but very specifically, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus here at Mount Hope? We're talking about who we are as followers of Jesus, the big picture, and also very specifically here in our church. So now if you've been with us over the last few weeks, you know uh, that there are certain topics we always hit in the month of January. There's four weeks, four Sundays in January. We do four topics every year. The first one is the Bible. We start with the Bible. And this year we said that we do not change the Bible to fit our lives, but we're people that change our lives to fit the Bible. It's really important. The second week we talked about prayer. And we said that prayer is our first priority, not a last resort. Prayer is not something we wait to run to uh, when everything's chaotic. Although God answers those kinds of prayers, we are people who are intentional in praying in our lives. And then last week, Justin preached, and we talked about the church, which is important. We said, we are not a group of passive spiritual consumers, but we are a community of active spiritual contributors, and that's important as well. Now, there's one topic we haven't touched yet. And, and some of us, I know, were excited because the week that we were supposed to talk about it, it's always the third Sunday in January, it snowed and we didn't have church. And so you thought to yourself, I- I'm, this is great uh, because the one topic that I hope we don't have to talk about, now the pastors, surely they're not going to push back all their other sermons that they had planned in February and March so that we could talk about the topic. And that topic, of course, is everyone's favorite topic, which is the topic of money. Well, I have good news for you. I have good news for you. We did, not, uh, we did not cancel the topic. In fact, we did postpone it until today, this Sunday. And so today we'll be talking about money. Isn't that great? Isn't everyone excited? Everybody, thank you, Gene. I'm glad one person is excited. <laughs> the question is, in fact, I, I realize that this is not your favorite topic. Let me be honest with you. It's not my favorite topic to talk about either. 
I don't, I don't look forward to the year and say, oh Lord, I can't wait until it's Sunday that you have us get up and talk about money. It's, it's not, honestly, I'll just be honest with you. Not your favorite topic, not mine either. But So why do we do it? Before we get there out of recognition for that, I'm, I'm just going to, recognition that, that you're going to sit and listen to this. I'm going to deliver it. I'm going to actually pay you to sit here this morning, all right? And so uh, Patrick and Maria are going to pass out uh, money to everybody. So congratulations on coming on this Sunday. Uh, when, when you receive your amount of money, I think you're going to realize very quickly uh, that, uh, you know, we've undervalued your time. But at least it gives you something to think about, to think about as we talk. So why do we talk about this topic of money? Why would we do this? Why every single year, over and over and over again, do we talk about money? Well, I'll tell you why it's not. I'll I'll tell you, uh, we don't do it for certain reasons. We don't do this because the church is in some sort of financial straits right now. We had a board meeting on Wednesday night. God is awesome. He's blessing us. And, And we're not doing it because the church needs money. We're also not doing it. We're not doing this because we have some sort of campaign happening right now, okay? There's no pledge card at the end of this service this morning. Here's the reason why we do this. There's two reasons. The first reason is this. Jesus talked about money, and he talked about it a lot. In fact, many people would say that, that if, when they look at what Jesus talked about, that Jesus talked about money and material possessions more than anything else. And the question is, why would he do that? The first reason we talk about it is because Jesus talked about it. And the second reason is, is because there are very few things in this world. In fact, I would say there's almost nothing else in this world that can get a stranglehold on our hearts and our lives like money. There is some sort of intimate connection, isn't there? between our joy and our purpose and our satisfaction and our happiness and our spiritual well-being and how we view and handle money. There is this intimate connection. I think that's why Jesus talked about it so much. And so we talk about this for two reasons. One, because we care about what Jesus said. And two, because we care about your heart. And we would be failing you as your pastors if we went the whole year and didn't bring this up at all. It's important to God. It ought to be important to us. So we're going to talk about it a little bit today. Some of you have been in church for a while, all right? You've, you've, heard, the, you've heard the talk, and you feel like already you know everything that I'm about to say. And I have a question for you. I have a quiz qu- uh, question for you. See if you've been paying attention, okay? Everyone in their baggie should have 10 pennies. should have 10 pennies here. There is a rule in God's book. There's a law in the Bible. And in the Bible, part of God's law talks about how many pennies we should give back to God for every 10 that he gives to us, right? And maybe you know this rule. It's what we talk about when we talk about tithing, when we say we're going to receive the Lord's tithes and our offerings. Tithe is what we're talking about when we are referencing this law. And so maybe you're newer to church. Maybe you're not familiar with this. And so, and so hopefully this is, this is helpful to you. For every 10 of these, someone tell me, how many of these does God tell us in the law that we are to give back? One, right? See a lot of ones in the front row. One. So every 10 of these, that's the simple rule that God gives. For every one of these, for every 10 of these that God gives us, his rule is that we would invest one of those back into his kingdom work. Now, here's the deal with that. I'm going to be honest with you. All right? 
When I look at the world and how most people live, and I look at the amount of money that, that I have in comparison with how other people are live and how much money they have, one out of every 10 doesn't sound like a lot when it's pennies in a baggie. But that is an exceedingly generous number. That's a tough number sometimes, isn't it? For those of us that, that maybe haven't done this our entire lives or haven't practiced this the whole time, uh, for, to walk in and to hear that that's what God would require of us, that that's what he, he would want us to do, it seems almost crazy. I mean, we live in a world when millionaires give, give checks of a few thousand dollars that's almost nothing for them. They're on television and there's big checks and everyone's celebrating. God's asking so much more of us than that. And in addition to that, here's what I find really challenging. Even more than the number, even more than the percentage, here's what I think is really challenging about this. Not only does God tell us to give one out of every 10, but then God tells us to have a good attitude while we're doing it. It's hard enough to get me to, to convince me or to convince others that one out of every 10 is worth doing, but then we open up the book and we go to the sermon and the preacher says to us something like, God loves a cheerful giver. Or to give out of joy. And we wonder to ourselves, how is that even possible? This seems like such a burden. It seems like so, so ridiculous that God would ask us this of us. How is it even possible? A number of years ago, uh, up in, at our Burlington location, before we, we planted this about three years ago, three and a half years ago now, we had a big capital campaign that's about 10 years ago. And we were building a gymnasium for our church and for the Christian school that's, that's there. And it was, it was a big project. Some of you remember that. And when we announced the campaign and asked people to give, there was one gentleman in particular who stood out to me. And he doesn't live in this area anymore. But he came into our church office and he sat down with us as the pastors. And he said, with a giant smile on his face, my wife and I are so excited to give to the work that God is doing. And we were excited that he was excited to give to the work God is doing, was doing. But here's the thing we knew about this gentleman. We knew that life wasn't easy. We knew that he and his wife lived in a small home that they rented, that sometimes they weren't able to make church on a weekly basis because their car of 25 years uh, didn't work that Sunday and he used to keep the thing going all on his own. And with a smile on his face, he gave to the project what he felt like God had called him to give. And wouldn't you know it, that man and his wife turned out to be some of the largest givers to that project out of anybody. And you wonder how they would have the ability to do it. That's one thing. But then how could they do it with such a smile on their face is the other question. You see, because when I think about giving, I think more about uh, who, two guys that my uncle encountered at his church in Chicago. My uncle pastors in Chicago, more of an old mainline denomination. And he was pastoring this small church a number of years ago. And there would usually be about 15, 20 people in the congregation on a Sunday morning. And the church had a problem. The, church, the church's organ was broken. And the church really wanted it fixed. Now see, I, this is just me. This may not be you, this is just me. I see a broken organ as the grace of God upon us, okay? That's just how I feel. You may feel differently, that's okay. But this church, this church really felt like that the services would be better with the organ. And so uh, they were for years trying to get the organ fixed. It was $10,000 to get the organ fixed. 
And every so often, the board would say to my uncle, you need to bring up the organ. We need people to give money to the organ. So he'd stand up and he'd be like, hey, I don't know if you want the organ to work or not, but it's $10,000. Uh, if someone wants to get it, give it, we'll, we'll have the organ work. Well, one Sunday, he stood up in front, in front of the congregation and he could see that this guy, Bob, was in church that Sunday. And he normally didn't come, just his wife came to church. And so he was sitting in church and he got up and he said, the board wants me to remind you that the organ is broken and we would like for it to work, and it's $10,000. And while he was giving the announcement, he could see Bob's wife elbowing him in the ribs, poking him through the entire announcement. And finally, Bob rolled his eyes and decided right there in the middle of church for some reason uh, that he would speak up. And so Bob said, fine, fine. I'll give $5,000 if Tom gives $5,000. And Tom was sitting over on the other side in a pew. He was trying to make sure no one noticed him. And he perks up and he rolls his eyes. And he looks back at Bob, who I assume is his friend, you know, with great disdain. And then he makes a curious decision. He decides to swear in the middle of church. And he says, uh, fine, we'll do it. Now, here's the thing. You know, it's exciting times to be in church, I suppose. But... For many of us, right, when people get up and they ask us to give to the work of God, the missionary, the preacher, the organization, we kind of understand Bob and Tom more than we do the man and his wife who gave to the Family Life Center. Like just in our, in our flesh, we, we identify more with rolling our eyes and having it pulled out of us. Then we do the giant smile and the big gift. So what's the difference? What's the secret in that? So we're going to talk about this morning for a couple of minutes. I think Paul makes it very clear here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul talks about two different churches. The church to whom he's writing, the Corinthian church, and another church. And they're approaching giving in very different ways. And Paul tells us the secret between the one who's able to give with joy and the one who is withholding their giving without joy. This is what he says, verse 1, chapter 8. We're going to read the first seven verses. I want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Paul, he talks to the Corinthian church because here's the deal. The Corinthian church was part of a group of churches that had agreed to take a special offering and give to other believers in need. And Paul was watching all of the churches across the region that he had planted. And he saw this church in Macedonia, a church that, as he says, lived in extreme poverty and extreme affliction, meaning that they were being persecuted for their faith. Their lives were in danger constantly because they followed Jesus Christ. And Paul looks to them and he says, listen, this is how they gave. 
Out of the abundance of their joy, there was this great outpouring. And despite their poverty, despite their affliction, they gave, and look what he says right there in verse 3. They gave beyond their means, he says. They gave beyond what anyone could have expected them to give. And he says in verse 5, in the, in, in the next couple of verses, he says they gave them first to the Lord and then to us. Meaning they didn't stop at the one penny. They gave first to the Lord. They gave that one penny that God asked them to give. And then Paul said, and then even in the middle of their poverty and their extreme affliction, they went beyond that and gave even more. In fact, I even feel like when you read these verses that Paul is, is baffled by this. He's, he's almost like he's, he, there's part of him that wants to tell the Macedonians to slow down a bit, that they may need some of this for themselves, but there's such joy and such overflowing that they are giving, Paul says, beyond what could ever be asked or expected of them. Paul's saying the Macedonian churches couldn't give. They made a promise they were going to be generous and support other believers. They couldn't do it, but they did. And then he turns to the Corinthian church and says, you can do it, and you're not. See, the Macedonian church, they couldn't do it. They're poor. They're in extreme affliction. They did it anyway. You can do it. Why aren't you? And the answer is quite simple. And the answer has nothing to do with ability. Because the Macedonians didn't have the ability, but they still did it. You see, many of us, when we think about if we can be generous, we look down at the baggie of coins that we have. And we look at it and we say, okay, they're asking me for money. Can I do it? They, they're asking for this. Can I do it? God wants me to give to someone else. Can I do it? And Paul says it's not about ability. Because that church couldn't do it and they did it anyway. It's about something else. Well, what is it about? Paul tells us very clearly in the next few verses. Look at what he says in verse 8. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. Paul gives one instruction with two parts to the people. He says this. Before you consider what you give, can give, Paul says, consider what you've been given. Consider what you've been given, Paul says. Paul says, if you take all of this away and stop looking at what you have in your bank account, consider how generous God has been to you. You want to get this correct. You want to get this right. You want to do it the right way. Not with a heart that is frustrated. Not with a heart that is, that is burdened by God's law. But a heart that has joy and cheerfulness and giving. Paul goes, you want to get this right? First, consider what you've been given. Don't even think about the bag. Put the bag away. Think about what you've been given in Jesus Christ. 
Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, Paul will write elsewhere, but made himself nothing, taking very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even to death on a tree. Therefore God has exalted him and given him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven, on earth, and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is what Paul says. Jesus was rich in heaven and he became poor for you so that you spiritually might become rich. Paul says that's grace. Grace is receiving something that you did not deserve. God abundantly out of his generosity gave you something that we did not deserve. And we can never mind the depths of how gracious and how generous God has been on our behalf because we deserve an eternity apart from him. We deserve no relationship with him. And yet he has opened up the door through Jesus Christ, our Lord. There is no way we can ever comprehend or grasp what God has done for us. And Paul is saying that should fill us with such great joy before we ever think about anything else. Did you ever grow tired of thinking about the cross? That's good. I think sometimes we do. We find ourselves in the, in the church world spending so much time on things other than the cross. Because we think we've mined the depths of everything that we could possibly understand about what God has done on our behalf, but we can never understand the depths of where we were and the goodness and graciousness of God that he, gave, that he acted on our behalf. And so God, Paul says, has been exceedingly generous to you, and it has nothing to do with what's in your baggie and everything to do with what he's done through Jesus Christ. And Paul says, you want to get this right? Consider what you've been given. And then think about what you're going to give. Consider what you've been given. And then consider what you're going to give. Paul says this. He says, God has not asked you to do anything he has not given you the ability to do. If God's asking you to do it, he has given you the ability to do it. Because what happens is most of us look at our bag and we say, we can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. I wish I could. I want to. Paul says to them, do this out of what you have, he says in verse 11. Do this out of what you have. Meaning Paul is saying, God has given you everything you need to do this. And you ought to think critically about it. It reminds me of the story Charles Spurgeon told once. Charles Spurgeon uh, lived in the 19th century, and he was in England. And he was the most well-known preacher of his day. And he tells the story of getting invited to a little rural church in England. And uh, the gentleman who wrote him said, uh, I'm part of a rural church. We have a great debt that we need to pay. We're asking you to come and preach so that we might be able to raise the money. When you come, you can stay at either my countryside cottage, my main home, or my seaside house. Charles Spurgeon simply wrote back to the man, sell one of your homes and pay the church's debt. And Charles Spurgeon was saying back to him, God's already given you everything that you need to do what he's calling you to do. 
And most of us don't have three homes. I don't know if you do. God bless you. Uh, But most of us don't have three homes. But think about this on a smaller scale with me, okay? I just recently had the joy of reworking my internet, telephone, cable bundle. You know, that's a good process, a fun process. All of a sudden, you start paying a ton more money, and then you think to yourself, well, the contract might be up. So you go, and you call them, and you say, listen, I'd like to pay less money for this. And they, of course, as you walk through that process, and maybe you've done this with a cell phone or internet uh, or something like that, they're going to try to tack on some, uh, some add-ons uh, to get you to pay a little bit more money. And so they said something to me uh, like, and this is a little bit hypothetical, they said something to me like, we see that you like to watch sports, right? And I don't like the fact that somehow they know that. I don't know how they know that, and I don't like that they know that. Uh, we see you like to watch sports. We would like to offer you a one-time deal for the all-sports package. And I'm like, well, you don't really need the all-sports package. I'm happy with the basic channels as long as I can watch the Patriots and the Nebraska Cornhuskers. I'm happy, okay? That's, that's my thing. And they said, well, but the all-sports package, you know, comes with over 25 channels. Like, what channels does it have? Well, it has the all-table tennis channel, and it has the all-horse racing channel. It has the all-cricket channel, which I don't even understand, and, and I'd like to learn. Some of you love that game uh, in our congregation. I would like to learn that game. It has all the bike racing channel, and I don't watch any of that stuff. And I say, I don't want it. I don't want it. And the person will say something like, listen, I'll tell you, I'm not allowed to do this. I'm not allowed to do this. I won't tell my manager, you don't tell anybody. But if you do this right now, if you do it right now, three bucks a month. And eventually I might say something like, fine, just do it. Three bucks a month, maybe I'll take up table tennis and I'll need to watch the channel. I don't know, just do it. Three bucks a month, who cares? I want to get off the phone. But what have I done? God gave me the ability to be generous as he's called me to give. And now I've invested in something that's worthless. I've effectively reduced my ability to be generous the way God might call me to by $3 a month. And if I do it across my Netflix subscription and I do it across the internet and I do it across my cell phone, all of a sudden I've reduced my capacity to be able to do what God is calling me to do. I remember one time talking uh, with Lori's grandfather, that's my wife's grandfather, and he was talking about how he was embarrassed that he had to take out a mortgage to buy his home in Somerville because no one else he knew was taking out a mortgage. So he paid it off as quickly as he could. Can you imagine people buying homes in Somerville, Massachusetts with no mortgages? What a day that was. But now we finance everything. Finance our watches. We finance everything that we have. And it hamstrings our ability as people that follow Jesus Christ to be generous the way he's called us to be. So we ought to challenge ourselves. Do I feel like I don't have anything to give because I really don't have the ability to give? Or have I taken what God has given me and invested in things that don't matter? I'm not saying don't enjoy the things of this world. I'm saying ask yourself the hard question. It's an important one. We are to be so enraptured, Paul says, with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ on our behalf that it overflows into a life that is generous in all aspects. You know, there is a huge difference. There is a big difference between doing what your teacher says or your professor says because they're your teacher or your professor and doing it because you have the utmost respect and honor for that person. 
they've presented themselves as such a person of, who deserves honor and respect that you will do whatever they say. And it's a much different experience, isn't it? Walking into work and having a boss where you just do what they say because they're your boss. And having a boss where you would go above and beyond when it comes to the job because they're the type of person that you love to follow. And there is a massive difference in our relationships, isn't there? In showing love because we have to, because it's February 14th or it's someone's birthday. And showing love because we're so enraptured with the person who is, who is in front of us. And there is a massive difference between giving just because God says so. And so that God's not mad with us one day. And because we're so overwhelmed with the cross of Jesus Christ and God's generosity to us that we cannot help but be generous to those people around us. And that is where Paul is saying that you and I need to be so caught up in who Jesus Christ is, so enraptured with God's goodness to us that we can't help but love and be generous to others, that we can't help and hold on loosely to the baggie because we know that joy isn't found here. It's found in Christ alone. So at Mount Hope, who are we? Because of who Christ is, because of who our God is, we are people that live beneath our means so that we can give beyond our limits. And I don't just mean to the church. We passed the offering bucket. We're not passing it again. I don't mean just in this room. I mean out there in the way that we live our lives for God's glory. We are people that choose to live beneath our means so that we might be able to give beyond our limits of our treasure and our time and our talents so that God might be honored and glorified. I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward as we prepare to close this morning. And I want to tell you one other story. I love this story. It's an evangelist by the name of John Wesley who lived in the 18th century. A lot of old stories this morning. John Wesley lived in the 18th century. And listen to what he did. In 1731, he began his ministry. And in the first year of his ministry, his income was 30 pounds. I'm not sure the exact exchange, but I know 30 pounds wasn't a lot. And he discovered in that year that he could live his life on 28 pounds. So the next year, when his income doubled to 60 pounds, he didn't change his expenses at all and gave away 32. And the year after that, when his income went to 90 pounds, he gave away 62. At one point, Wesley's income advanced to as high as 1,400 pounds a year, which made him rich but he kept his expenses around 30 pounds a year and gave the rest away so that by the time that he died, there was less than 100 pounds in his estate. The English Tax Commission investigated him because they didn't believe that he was doing this. They thought for sure he was stockpiling money somewhere and wasn't paying taxes on it. Can you imagine being so generous in your life to other people and to the things of God that the IRS doesn't believe you? They form a special task force to investigate you. And he said this, when God calls me home and I die, I'll leave my books behind. But with everything else, I'll be my own executor. Meaning while I'm here doing the work of God, I'm going to be generous with everything that God has given me. What might God do among us? 
what might God do among us? If we lived so enraptured by the cross of Jesus Christ that we were ready to be generous at every turn, not just with the people in this room, but the people in our lives. What might people who are hurting and broken begin to understand about the gospel if they saw us living a different life, not because we're great people, but because God is great. I'm so thankful to be a part of a church where so many of you already do this. A couple weeks ago, I took my wife out for her birthday uh, into a restaurant in Boston. And as we were leaving, we saw one of her co-workers sitting with her husband at another table. And we said hi, and they said to us, sit down, have a seat. And uh, so we were sitting there for a while, just getting to know one another. And eventually they asked me what I, what I do. That's always, you know, an interesting question. When you're meeting people in the city, most people have no idea what a pastor is or what they do in this city. And so I said, well, I'm pastor of a church. And they were trying to process that and get through the initial shock. And her husband said this to me. He said, how do you do that? Churches don't have any money. And I just thought in my head, you don't know Mount Hope. There's an amazing group of people that know that God is good and have been so generously blessed by God that they are generous to others. Not just the church, but the missionaries we support that are on that back wall, the other people that are in your lives that you are generous to for the sake of Christ. See, he's used to the church that's trying to keep their doors open so they can play bingo once a week, but this is not that place. This is a place of people who are enraptured by the grace of God and the work that has been done on our behalf so that we might be generous for God's glory knowing that true joy comes there. So we, who are we? We are people that live beneath our means so that we might be able to give beyond our limits. Not so that we're glorified, not because we're great, because God is great. Hey, thanks again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location. At Mount Hope, we gather in Belmont every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. and in Burlington, at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Each week that we gather, we do so to learn more about God, grow in our love of Him and others, and then we go to live lives driven by faith. If you live in the Burlington or Belmont, Massachusetts areas, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday. You can learn more about us by visiting our website at mounthope.org, M-O-U-N-T-H-O-P-E dot O-R-G, or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at MT Hope Belmont. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you listen again next week.